Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would reach and take your Bible out or the Pew Bible in front of you or your Bible app and open to 1 Timothy We're going to be reading from today from chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather upon God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty gracious Lord, we gather here in your house on this day to worship and to praise you, to give you thanks for all the blessings of life, to lay our worries and our fears at your feet, to sing your praises, to bring an offering, a sign of our thanks for the blessings that we have received. We come to dedicate our lives to you and commit ourselves to the ministry of your church. But as we come, O Lord, we come also yearning to hear from you. So speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak to us clearly that we would hear what you would have us do so that we would leave this place not as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's name we pray, amen. Some 12 years ago, Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett, they sort of shocked the world. They pledged to give a significant portion of their fortune. Remember at that time, the Gateses were worth about $88.5 billion. Warren Buffett was worth about $74.2 billion, give or take a penny, But anyway, they did this and they they called upon the world. They said, we're going to give a significant portion of our wealth to fight poverty, to provide for education, for medical research, for female empowerment all across the globe. Now, as it just so happened that when this announcement came out, I was attending a, a philanthropy, a planned giving conference. And so when this was out, everybody, this was the buzz of the day, if you will. So the speaker that was featured sort of just stopped us all in our tracks. He says, let's talk about this. How many of you wish you could do this, what Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett have done? And of course, everybody raised their hands. Every one of us in the room raised our hands. And he said, how many of you can do this? Not one hand went up. Not one hand. But then, like a wall of bricks, it just, we just sort of ran headlong into the speaker then asked us, he challenged us, he says, you know, you're all wrong. 
you can do this. And of course, immediately a lot of us were thinking, what do you mean we can do this? I'm not worth $88.5 billion. How can I do this? He goes, you're all wrong. None of you raise your hands because you're thinking about the amount that the Gateses and Warren Buffett are giving away. You're thinking about the amount. But what you fail to realize is you're not billionaires and you know this, but you're all blessed. Generosity is not amount, a specific amount. It's about an amount relation to the whole. It's about a condition of your heart. And so no matter your bank balance, your life can be defined by generosity. Those words, no matter your bank balance, your life can be defined by generosity. Hmm. So friends, we spent the last uh, month, over the last couple of Sundays, talking about this idea of stewardship, the management of the resources of another, thinking specifically about the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, how they're not really ours, and how we manage those. We're to be stewards of those resources. So the last three or four weeks, we have uncovered this idea that that we have been blessed with enough by God. And then maybe what needs to happen for us, for us to lean on God's wisdom, to lean on God's beliefs to sort of gain a better understanding and enter into a new relationship between money and stuff and our lives. And then as we do that, to really learn to cultivate contentment with what God has given us. See, I think our text today, our text asks us to really think about our lives and how they might be defined and really to define our lives by this idea of generosity. So Paul continues in the letter today, it's a continuation of where we left off last week, if you will. If you remember where we were, talking about this idea of being content. It continues in lesson a little bit further. He's writing to his protege, to his star pupil, Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, and even to you and to me. He's writing to us, about not just being content, but defining our lives by generosity. Look at what we have been given and to do good things with it. Just what Mark was saying a minute ago about doing all the good we can and all the places we can and all the ways we can to all the people we can as long as we can. In other words, we've been truly blessed, haven't we, friends? We have been truly blessed and as such, we should be ready, willing, and eager. And look at that line ready, willing, and eager to share those blessings with the world around us. So this text gives us a moment to explore sort of a theological foundation for this idea of generosity. It gives us a chance to think about what generosity means to God and what happens if we define our lives by generosity, what happens internally within us. We begin to unpack that text and unpack these ideas. What it really points us to and challenges us to do is to live lives of generosity. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start with this, sort of this foundation. Anytime we want to sort of change our lives, we need to have a foundational understanding of why. We go to our faith, we go to theology. So we know that we were created to be generous. I mean, think about this. The Lord gave us everything it's all interconnected, gave us partners with each other so that humanity was not alone, but that we had something to share life with. 
So everything in creation is interconnected. We have each other to share life with. And yet what happens sometimes? Sometimes we sort of, we let fear and anxiety, we let scarcity rule the day. We don't function or live out of the abundance that we have, but instead out of fear and scarcity. If you want to know what that looks like, in about three, in about three months, it's going to be really cold outside. And eventually, somewhere along the line, one of those weather systems from the West is going to come over, and Laney Pope is going to utter the words, snow. And when she says snow, ever so silently, no matter what time of day it is, it's like she might as well just have broadcast it well, she will broadcast it, but imagine she was throwing a loudspeaker because we will all run to the grocery store and buy what? Milk and bread. Even when you're lactose intolerant, you still buy the milk because we're afraid we're going to run out. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe that, think back about two years ago when there was really a shortage of one important item in your household, toilet paper. As soon as you found out that a grocery store got a shipment, people were trying to knock off the truck before it could even unload. Hoarding rolls of toilet paper. Only when you had 45 rolls in your closet did you feel like you could be generous enough to maybe give your neighbor one. We laugh about this, right? But how often in our lives do we let fear and scarcity rule the day rather than abundance? See, friends, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we, when we said, Lord, you're our Lord and Savior, Lord, you're going to provide for us, Lord, we trust you, Lord, we see all the blessings you have given us. What's supposed to happen is we're supposed to realize that we live in this system of abundance that God has truly blessed us with enough. So when we give our lives to Christ, we need to silence the fear, silence the scarcity, instead of operate out of the goodness and the interconnectedness that takes us back to creation. And the more we silence those voices, the more we find joy in giving and in serving God and in serving others. And the more that we do that, we live with less fear. The more that we give, the less fear we have, the more joy that we experience and begins to snowball. And we realize that everything that we have in life is a gift from God and that we can share it with our neighbors and it will be okay. So we begin to realize the, the, the elements of this idea of generosity. Then we begin to ask ourselves, well, what does biblical generosity look like? Well, again, we just step forward a little bit from creation. As the world was beginning to prosper, what did God ask in return? God asked for a token of our thanks, a sign of our thanks. Asked for the first fruits of the harvest, the very best from God. How often do we give God the very best? How often do we give God the first fruits from our harvest? Think about that. A few years ago, a church that I was, was in was doing a coat drive in the winter for those that didn't have coats. And I remember one woman, she didn't know what she was saying, but it was really a metaphor that is wrong true with me. She said, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we're doing this because guess what? It means I get to buy a new coat for me and I can give my old coat away. Now she didn't mean anything terrible by it but think about the priorities we're supposed to give our best to God and so she's buying a new coat for her so she could give a used coat away that's why so many of those coat drives say they want only gently used read that to mean still relatively fresh and new because why give away something worn out 
Is that the best we can do? This idea of first fruits is that we give the first to God. What was supposed to happen is when people harvested the fields, the very first things that came out, the tithe, if you will, the first 10% went to God. Think about when you get paid, when you draw your money. What's the first check you write? Is it to the church? Or is it to all the other things and the church gets what's last? Is that what we give God is what's last or do we give God what's first? So this idea of first fruits and this idea of the tithe is 10%. Now, that seems like a lot, this idea of 10%, especially if you're not doing it. But remember, I sent this a couple of weeks ago. The 10%, which we, means we get to keep 90% of the blessings of God. 90% of the harvest we get to keep. God just asked for 10. It's a sign of our blessing, a sign of our gratitude. But here's the great thing about the God we serve. The God that we serve is a God of grace. So if you're not at that tithing level, don't just shut down and just walk away from this shaking your head. It's a place to grow in faith. Figure out what you are giving, what that percentage number is, and step forward with me this year, one whole percentage number. Work towards tithing. Take that challenge to grow one percentage point and see the difference that it makes. We'll talk about that in a minute, but see that difference. See, what, they, what I understand is I look at some of the stuff that comes out of stewardship services and philanthropy groups is that on average, Americans give only 3% of their income to the church. 3%. Folks, if we step forward 1%, if every one of us in here was an average American, and some of us are, and some of us are above average, and I am thankful for that. But if we step forward 1%, that means that we would have 33% more for our budget to do the ministries that Mark was talking about, to reach out to our community, make a difference, that we would be able to reach that goal of at least 10% or more of our budget in mission work combined to make a difference in our community, fulfill that mission statement. All of us are willing to think less about scarcity and more about abundance. It seems scary, but that step, to step forward 1%, to step up to tithing, is about saying no to fear and yes to life, yes to abundance, and yes to generosity. A life of generosity, that which God wants for us. Since the earliest of time, people have brought forth that offering. They put it on the altar. First it came because it was an agrarian society. It came in the form of burnt offerings of meat and fruits and grains. And it was believed that when they brought the offering forward and laid it on the altar of the church, that God's heart was moved by the gratitude of the people. Over time, as the economy changed from agrarian to service to product-based to consumerism, those offerings changed from grains and fruits and animals to dollars and cents. And the question emerges, well, what amount moves the heart of God it's really not about an amount. It's really about the condition of the heart. It goes back to what the speaker said in that planned giving conference. It's not about the size of the gift. It's about the condition of your heart, how you're saying thanks. The proof of that comes in the text when we read the story of the parable of the widow's mite. Remember Jesus and the gang were in the back pew. They were sitting in the back of church watching people come forward because that was in the days when instead of passing plates, we came forward and brought the offering. And people came forward and they dropped their coins noisily in 
the plate so that people would hear the amounts that were being deposited. Then there was an old widow who came in the side door. She came to the altar. She prayed and she left two small copper coins. Barely made a sound. Afterwards, before the servants of the temple came and collected the offering and took it back to put in the safe, Jesus got the disciples and said, who do you think gave the most? Who do you think gave the best gift? And of course, they were trying to decide based on how many coins they heard here, how many coins there. And Jesus said, stop. I'll give you a hint. It was the widow with the two copper coins, not a gold coin. See, it wasn't about the amount. It was about the condition of heart. She realized she'd been so blessed. She brought all that she had, is what the text said. She gave generously from her heart. Do we live lives of that kind of generosity? That's the question that's before us. Because that's the generosity that moves the heart of God. So as we begin to ask ourselves, what, is giving, what kind of giving should we do? How does giving affect the heart of God? How does it affect us becomes the final question. And here's what we know. We know it's simply this. The more that we give, the more joy we find. I mean, psychology and neurology tell us that this is really, that there's a dopamine rush that comes from when we realize that we've done something good for someone else. And the more that we do it, the more we want to. It builds like a snowball. It compounds. It rolls over and over. And the more that we do it, the more that we want to. We want to be Bill and Melinda Gates. We want to be Warren Buffett because we want the joy of just giving and giving and giving lots away, right? I mean, it's the joy of being on our mission committee. Not only do they help us focus our mission work so we make the, both, the most good in our community, but they really look at on our behalf, they look at the agencies that we work with and figure out how to carve out our mission budget so that we're doing the most good in the community. It is a joy to give it away, right? I mean, I guarantee you on the way outside of church today, if I handed you an envelope, each of you, an envelope of $15 in cash and said, you've got to do something good with it today, you would probably spend the afternoon trying to figure out what you would do and have the most fun figuring out how to do something good, all the good you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can to all the people who can as long as you could with the $15. Friends, that's generosity. And what happens is the more that we realize that, the more that we celebrate that, realize it changes our relationship with money, it changes our relationship with the world. And as we give, we're more aware of what we're doing. We're more aware of the impact of our gifts we see the greater change in the world around us. And the world is changed by our generosity, but guess what, my friends? Our lives are too, because now our lives are defined by our generosity. So where does that leave us today? When you came in, maybe you brought this with you. Maybe you picked one up on the back table. Or maybe you've got this tool at home on your desk or it's one click away on your phone. This estimate of giving card is a way that we can account for and say thanks for the blessings in our lives. It's a tool that we can use to show our gratitude.
But as we realize these blessings, we realize that we have all that we need and we give thanks for them. This is also a way that we can define our lives. So I invite you, I invite you to join me and my family by living lives defined by generosity for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the ministries of this church, for the sake of the kingdom of God, so that when the world looks at us, they say, I want to be just like them. I want to do that, and I can do that. I can make a difference today because I have been blessed by God to do that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.